In his small book, The Hopeful Heart, author John Claypool begins his chapter or his first chapter with these words. The struggle we face now is to have hope in a world that is littered with experiences of disappointment. This little book wasn't published within the last few weeks. It was actually published back in 2002, not long after 9-11, in the attack on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. And for those who lived through those moments, we can say that it did feel like a world, quote, littered with experiences of disappointment. And it felt like a struggle to have hope in those times. In many ways, I feel that same struggle today. As we journey through this pandemic, we can find that it can be a struggle to have hope and to live from a hopeful place. Each day, there are reports of the spread of COVID-19, as well as daily reports of unemployment and what feels like an economic freefall. We become very familiar with phrases like flattening the curve and stay at home, and we become very creative with our masks and our designer masks. So if you feel dizzy internally from all of this, don't feel as if you're the only one. All of this has happened in the span of about one month. In fact, it was about one month ago that we as a faith community decided to stop gathering face-to-face until we had a better understanding of what we are facing. And this weekend is our sixth Sunday. We've been away from one another. Has it been difficult? It has been hard. And yet I am so grateful, so grateful for everyone's can-do spirit and resilient hope because it is this resilient hope that's going to keep us going and will keep us going in the future. Hope is so essential. It's like breathing air. It gives our soul life. As John Claypool writes in his book on hope, quote, hope is utterly essential for the well-being of our particular species. What breath is to the physical body, hope is to the human spirit. Hope is what animates us. It, it's the fuel that energizes us. It gets us up in the morning. It propels us through the day. And yet, where does this hope originate? Is it constant? Will we have moments and days in which we stumble in our hope? In the gospel, Luke offers the story of two disciples who are walking to Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And on their walk, they're discussing the events of the past few days. And while they are talking and walking, Jesus, Luke tells us that Jesus himself arrives and joins them on their journey. And they were prevented from recognizing him. Now, Luke doesn't necessarily say what prevents them from recognizing Jesus. I know that often my own distractedness will keep me from recognizing the risen Christ, the living Christ on my journey. I may be distracted by my own schedule. I sometimes am distracted by my own agenda. Other times my anxiousness and worries distract me, and as we'll see with these two fellows, my own disillusionment and disappointment will distract me and make me unable to recognize the living Christ present and with me on my journey. Now, what we can say is this, the living Christ comes to us on our journey, and particularly when we are in the midst, right in the midst of our own disillusionment and disappointment. The living Christ joins us on our journey and is with us right now. Often recognizing Christ with us ends up being the main issue of the spiritual journey. As these two men journey with Jesus, he engages them in a conversation, and he wants to know what they're talking about. Now, they're a little stunned that they feel this person who has joined them has no clue about the last few days. So they stop and they recount the events of their hopes in Jesus of Nazareth. They tell how 
Everyone recognized Jesus as a prophet and how their own chief priests and leaders handed him over to be crucified. And then they add these words, quote, We had hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. Those three words, we had hoped, they seem to be three words that often find their way into the souls and hearts of many people, including ourselves, including me. For these two disciples, their expectations and hopes were all wrapped up in what they felt Jesus had come to accomplish. Maybe at one point they had high hopes for their own chief priests and leaders, but even those folks let them down and handed Jesus over to be crucified. And then they add that some of the women had gone to the tomb and had visions of visiting angels telling them that Jesus was alive, but some of the other disciples went to the tomb and didn't see Jesus. And now the narrative of the journey and lives of these two men simply starts with these three words, we had hoped. To be honest, I feel the disillusionment and disappointment of these two disciples. I don't know about many of you, but I know there have been times in which I have put my hopes in leaders and institutions and systems. I have put my hopes in my own expectations of what I thought things needed to be or how they should be. I have put my hopes in how I thought life would turn out and what the future would look like. And then all of a sudden, none of that seems viable or possible anymore. I'm disillusioned by an institution or a system. I'm disappointed in those who lead or they possess the power to make things happen. I've sometimes even been disappointed or disillusioned for a season in my own faith tradition. And I found that I've been both disappointed and disillusioned in how the present reality is so much different than what I felt would be the future outcome. It often seems as if the seeds of hopelessness are sown in this soil of expectation, disillusionment, and disappointment. We pin our hopes on a person, or an institution, or a system, or even our expectation that the future is simply going to be an extension of the present. And so we go back to our author, John Claypool, and he writes these words, quote, There is nothing simple or magical about the act of hoping, for there is always the risk of disappointment. Think of the times that you have placed your hopes in a person, an institution, or a certain set of circumstances, only to see those hopes painfully dashed and crumble into dust, end quote. And when any of these seemingly let us down, we do become disillusioned and disappointed and sometimes even cynical. In fact, I like to think that cynicism sometimes is nothing more than hopelessness light. It refuses to believe that anything good will ever happen, and that if something good this happened, there must be a catch, or it's too good to be true. I've seen people, what I feel, are so addicted to their own cynicism that it's almost a disappointment when something good does happen because then they're forced to consider changing their perspective of the world. And for some, it's not a change they're willing to make. Sometimes it's not a change they can make. So maybe we're not that much unlike these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. We too have our moments of we had hoped or I had hoped. And also, like these two disciples on their journey, the risen Christ, the living Christ, comes to each of us in the midst of our journey of disillusionment and disappointment. And like these two disciples, Jesus comes to us, not so much to tell us that it's going to be okay, but to reframe our hope. I learned this phrase, reframing hope, from one of our meeting members, Caroline Robles, this past week. 
she works for hospice and says that this is often what hospice will offer in the form of comfort or guidance. And she and her co-workers are reframing hope for the family. They are helping family members accept the reality of the present moment while at the same time to live courageously and hopefully into the future. So to frame something is to provide a structure on how we view the world. When we reframe, we're choosing to adapt or we're choosing to adjust the structure on how we view the world because the way we frame our situation has an impact on our current attitudes and perspectives. It has a lot to do with naming what is while at the same time imagining what can be. Let me say that again. It has a lot to do with naming what is while at the same time imagining what can be. Now, for these two disciples, Jesus literally reframed their hope when he said, quote, wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then Luke tells us that Jesus interpreted for them the things written about himself in all the scriptures, starting with Moses and going through all the prophets. It's as if Jesus was literally saying, you had your expectations of how you thought things would be and what they would become. But here is what is true and what can be possible for the future. And it wasn't long after that that these two disciples, the scriptures say their eyes were opened and they recognized the living Christ with them and in their midst. Makes me wonder if seasons of, seasons of disillusionment and disappointment are meant to be eye-opening experiences where we see reality as it is, but then we're invited into a more hopeful reality and future with new growth. Going to make a suggestion, and it's this. We are more likely to be aware and recognize the living Christ with us on our journey when we're willing to name how things are in the present with the hope that possibility still exists for the future rather than if we dwell on how life used to be and wishing it still were that way. Honestly, I wish we weren't always having to stay at home. I wish I could hang out with friends and family and all of you. I wish we weren't going on Sunday number six on being away from one another. I wish future plans weren't so up in the air. I wish I didn't have friends who are laid off and furloughed. I wish people weren't getting sick and healthcare workers weren't having to put themselves under so much stress. I wish, I wish, I wish. But I hear what John Claypool says when he writes, quote, for there to be a hope that does not disappoint, it has to be reality-based. And then he goes on to add these words. Hope senses the potential that exists in the realm of the real but has not yet been realized. And it moves toward the actualizing of these possibilities. So, in other words, accepting and naming reality isn't a negative. In fact, it's the beginning of a journey of hope. And we're now freed up to see and be open to the possibilities that exist within all of the present conditions and even the future. And we don't do this on our own. This is the Easter message that lingers on long past Easter Sunday. It's the message that Jesus joins us on our journey and comes alongside of us in the midst of our disillusionment and disappointment and reveals himself to us. And we need this revelation of the living Christ in our midst because we need to be reminded that deadness and disappointment and disillusionment do not have the final word, not in this life nor in the life to come. Now, 
Lest we think the person I have quoted in this message numerous times, John Claypool speaks from a very charmed existence. It needs to be known that in his own journey years ago, it included the death of his daughter to leukemia when she was 10 years old. And John Claypool writes about a moment after that, when a rabbi friend asked him this penetrating question, John, did God do anything for you in that stretch of darkness through which you just come? And Claypool thought about it long and hard, and this is how he responded. Yes, God did do something. God did something in the depths of that darkness. God did not do what I most wanted, which of course was to heal Laura Lou. Nor did God enable the medical establishment to bring about a much-desired recovery through their collaboration, but the Holy One was not absent in all that travail. My brave young daughter and I were given the gift of endurance and along with it an opportunity to grow spiritually. I cannot begin to describe the incredible maturity and courage that I saw develop in my little one as the disease ravaged her. And yet she never became bitter or lost her love for life. I myself have become a very different person from the one I was before her death. I am not all proud of this, but for years I took life for granted and assumed that having a healthy family was precisely what I deserved. I see now what an astonishingly good fortune even a single day really is. The realization that life is gift and birth is windfall is more apparent to me than ever before. I sense that I am more humble, grateful, and sensitively attuned to the suffering of others than was the case before this ordeal. And then Claypool ends with these words. As I have said, God did not do what I would have wanted most, but what God did was a grace of tremendous value indeed. This is what I would call, friends, reframed hope or hope reframed. When we're able to say with people like John Claypool, God did not do what we would have wanted most, but what God did was a grace of tremendous value. That is what God does and will do within us. This is what the two disciples on the road to Emmaus would have said. And this is the gift of hope for you and I. The season we are presently in is not an easy one, but it's where we are. And in the midst of this present journey, Jesus joins us and comes alongside of us individually and as a meeting and helps us to reframe our lives so that we can begin to see possibility where maybe all we could see were dead ends and futility and cynicism. So here's my pitch and here's my prayer that we live into our present reality with courage, with resilience and hope. Not this magical wish that things were not as they are, but an awareness that the present reality of all of our lives does not have to be the defining reality of the rest of our lives. So be open to the possibility of transformation that exists within our own hearts and souls. Let's be open to the possibility of growth and maturity that exists for our own lives. Let's be open to the possibility of maybe our priorities being redefined because of what we're going through. Let's be open to a softening of our hearts and souls and a deepening empathy and compassion for others. Let's be open to a deepening of our own resilience and our own endurance because of what we're going through. And let's always be open to the living Christ coming alongside of you and I in our life's journey. Because in that moment of recognition, 
we might discover hope reborn in our hearts and in our souls. And we may just discover that in those moments, it will be truly an eye-opening experience. And maybe in a way that we never, ever imagined, a converting of our hearts and our souls. Amen.